Hey, hello and welcome. Uh, thanks for joining us here at Grace Chapel today. Boy, how life has changed in the last two weeks for all of us. And uh, so we're on this uh, trial run today. Hope you're encouraged. I'm going to be continuing our series on uh, first, in 1 first Samuel. And if you can, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 27. We're going to be reading this whole chapter uh, or studying it together today. And believe it or not, even though 1 Samuel was written 3,000 years ago or so, the stories from that far back, it's so relevant for the situation that we're in today here in the USA and the world is with the pandemic. So I just think it's really interesting that God's kind of led us to this point. Where are we at in this story? It's been a couple weeks since we've been together. Just a reminder, King Saul is, uh, has been rejected as king over Israel, and he's refusing to follow the Lord. And he's going after David, who's to be the next king. Uh, David was serving Saul well, but Saul's jealous. And he's plotting to kill David, to remove the threat. Saul's pride's keeping him from submitting to the Lord's will. Saul's fighting against God, and he's hurting himself, his family, and all those he loves. Now David's on the run for his life, running for his life. He's a fugitive. And God's intervened on his behalf. But we find out in chapter 27 that it almost seems like David's uh, faith is wavering a little bit, that he's being driven by fear. And uh, so let's take a read. Uh, let's read 1 Samuel 27. We'll read the first seven verses together. Follow along as I read 1 Samuel chapter 27, verses 1 through 7. God's word says, Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over, he and his six hundred men who were with him, to Achish, son of Maok, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoman of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And then it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath. He no longer sought him. Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year in four months. Let's take a moment to pray. Lord God, we ask you to use your word here as we study the life of David together to encourage our hearts at this time and this, at this moment in our lives. Lord, help us to look to you and not to be afraid, but to have faith. Help us to be your servants through all this, we pray. For Christ's name's sake, for his glory. Amen. So David's in very difficult circumstances. His fears seem to be driving him. And fears are powerful driving forces when life is difficult, kind of like what we're in right now. And in times like this, we might ask the Lord, what are we to do? Sometimes all the options seem good, and sometimes none of the options seem to be good at all. What are we to do? But I want to remind us from 1 Samuel 27 that God gives us resources. 
He gives us his word. He gives us his people. He gives us his spirit who speaks to our minds and our hearts so that we can remember that God is faithful. God's always faithful to his people. David's really in a tough spot. And his fears have driven him out of the promised land to go back to Gath. He was there several years before, several months before. And we have to ask the question, is David's faith wavering here? Is he taking a misstep? Is he not trusting in the Lord? Well, let's learn from the Lord. And just before we look at that, I want to remind you about Abigail's words. that he, She spoke to David in chapter 25. If men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. And don't forget Hannah's words way back in chapter 2 when she said that the Lord's anointed ones, the Lord's chosen ones would be taken care of. She said in her psalm, her prayer, her psalm, the Lord will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in the heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his salvation. Those words were for David. Those words are for us. God wanted us to hear those words. And even Jesus reminds us in John chapter 15 that we're his chosen ones, sent out to bear fruit, fruit that will last, that he's chosen us to be his servants. The story's told about mice who lived in a great grand piano in a dark corner in the lower part of the piano. And they didn't know who, but they loved the music that they heard played on that piano. Well, one day, a proud mouse, a brave mouse, went up and found out that it, there were strings that vibrated, shorter strings, long strings, and that was the explanation for where the music came from. It wasn't some force that they didn't know. It wasn't, a, it wasn't God. It was just the strings. And so they began to question if God was really there. Another mouse went up and found out that there were hammers that hit it. So they began to see that their world wasn't something created by a super being, a supernatural being, but it was mechanical and mathematical, and they began to doubt that there was a God at all. Sometimes we're kind of like that in our universe, in our little corner. We don't see all that God's doing, but what's amazing about the story of the mice and the piano, they didn't believe in that piano player anymore, the music maker, but piano player kept making music. And God's always at work on his children's behalf. Whether we see it or not, believe it or not, God's at work. So let's look at David's life for just a few minutes this morning. When faith over, when fear, excuse me, when fear overrules faith. David's life is filled with pressure. And, when, and God lets us see into his head and into his heart. David said in verse 1 of chapter 27, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. David, are you forgetting what Abigail just said to you weeks ago, months ago? That you were going to be protected by God. It was, a, it was a word given to you by God through her to encourage your heart. Do you forget what Jonathan had told you? But I get it. One day Saul's going to get me. He was feeling the pressure. 
Put yourself in David's place. <laughs> it's not easy hiding 600 men and their families. It's not easy finding food and supplies and taking care of them and hiding this great band of people from Saul. You feel responsible for them. It's not easy running to caves and hiding. It's not easy looking over your shoulder and wondering, is someone going to see me? Are they going to report me to Saul? Or are they going to be my friend? It's hard to do. And it's like David's coming to the end of his ropes and he's saying, Lord, I'm tired. I just want to find a home. I just want to settle down. I want a nice place for the kids and the family. I just want to have a normal life. I want to have peace. I want this all to pass quickly. Are you feeling that today? I kind of am. I just wish all this uh, COVID-19 would just kind of pass quickly and God would fix it. You said I would be king. It's hard waiting, Lord. Is there another way to accomplish your plan for me? I'm sure David's asking those questions. David's reasoning concludes the safest place to be is where Saul can't be looking for me. So I'm going to go back to the land of the Philistines. I'm going to go back to Gath. Trouble there before. David went there and acted like a madman. But his men were afraid and they were ready to go. And you know what? David was right. It says in verse 4 that Saul quit looking for David. <sighs> no more worries about Saul. But... <laughs> Ziklag would have its perils as well. Let's read the rest of the chapter together. Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Geshurites and the Gerzites and the Amalekites, for these were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as far as sure, to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the garments, and come back to Achish. When Achish asked, where have you made a raid today? David would say, against the Negev of Judah, or against the Negev of the Jehermalites, and against the Negev of the Kenites. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking, lest they should tell about us and say, so David has done. Such was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. And Achish trusted David, thinking, he has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. Wow. Previously, David had acted like a madman to protect himself because he was afraid when he was in the land of Gath around Achish. Now, he's acting like he's no longer trusting in Jehovah, that he no longer cares about the people of God, that he no longer cares about his God. He's acting like a person without a home, without a country, without a faith. And why do you think Achish had a change of heart toward David? He had sent him away before. Apparently, Achish assumed that David had become such a stench that David and Saul could no way get along, that David could never return back to Israel and be king, so he was no longer a threat. But Ziklag had a lot of perils. Ziklag was a place where David had to be somebody. Pretend he was somebody he wasn't. He was there for over a year. That's a long time to be pretending you're loyal to Achish when the truth was you were being deceptive. He reported to Achish. He put himself under Achish like he was his king. And he was raiding Judah, but that was a lie. But it endeared him to Achish. And the truth was he was raiding potential enemies of Judah, endearing himself to his future subjects in the land of Israel. So that was really shrewd politics. And David was wise in that regard. 
but he was acting like a Philistine and pretending to be someone he wasn't. And he had to slaughter whole groups of people. Maybe they weren't all so innocent, but that would be young children, mothers, pregnant mothers, women, children, old people, young people. He had a lot of blood on his hands. Something interesting about chapter 27. There's never any mention of David seeking God's help or guidance in this chapter. In previous chapters, there's always mention of God uh, intervening on his behalf and David seeking the Lord's direction. Now it seems that David might be in a time of spiritual dryness. I don't want to read too much into this. God doesn't say explicitly that David sinned or he wasn't sinning, but God's very quiet in this chapter. And in narratives like this, when there isn't a seeking of God or expressions of trusting in the Lord like there have been in previous chapters, it's kind of a hint that God's telling us, yeah, there's a little drought going on spiritually, that David's walk with God was a little less than it could have been, should have been. Have you ever come to a public worship service dreading it? Because you know when you walk into that worship place, you're going to have to act like everything's fine spiritually, and you know it's not. That when somebody asks you the question, <laughs> you're going to say, oh, everything's fine, when it's really not. Living more like a faithless Philistine than a child of Abraham, a person of faith. David hasn't lost faith in God. And just because we're stale or we're wavering in our faith doesn't mean we've lost our faith, but sometimes it, our fears lead us to making decisions that maybe aren't so good, that Ziklag wasn't the refuge that David hoped it was. One other thing I see in this, in this chapter, in, in verse 12, is that Achish has made a great miscalculation. David fooled him once with his madness, and he's doing, again, doing it again, acting like a loyal warrior for Achish. And Achish thinks David is in such trouble with Saul and the people of Israel that he's never going to be able to return there as king. But I want you to know something, Achish. No, David is going to be king. He's God's chosen one. He's a servant of the Lord God Almighty, and the Lord is watching over his chosen one. In Psalm 2, we read about Jesus, ultimately, the kings of the earth have set themselves and rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds and cast away their cords from us. And he who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. And he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Now, we know that's ultimately speaking about Jesus, but... David is a picture of that coming king. But not only that child of God, those of us who are in Christ, who have faith in Christ, who have put our trust in him, God promises to take care of us as well. When you fight against God, when you fight against his anointed one, you are fighting against the Lord of heaven. When Saul was persecuting the church before he became the apostle Paul, Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, you see, Saul was persecuting the church. And when you touch God's people, you're touching God. Achish made a miscalculation. But Saul did as well. Saul recognized that David was king. 
He said to David in a speech in chapter 24, he said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me with good, whereas I have repaid you with evil. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. What's the tragedy there? Saul knew God's will. He knew that David would be the next king, and yet he refused to submit himself. He resisted God's will. His pride, his hatred, his love for the world blinded him to how he was destroying himself, the nation, and his family. There's another person in our story of 1 Samuel that underestimated who David was, and that was Nabal. When David asked Nabal for help, for some food, for some water, what did Nabal say? Who is David? Who's the son of Jesse? Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat and give it to men who come from I do not know where? <laughs> wow, Nabal, you're underestimating who David is. He's God's chosen one. Makes me think of what Jesus says at the end of time. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. When did, it, when did we see you? Truly I say to you, as you did to the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. People of God, Grace Chapel family, be looking for opportunities to show kindness to those who need a drink, who need food, who need a friend, a stranger who may need our help in these times. It's scary times. It's a little bit fearful times, but the Spirit will guide us and help us to see what we can do. Nabal's name means fool. And the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. A fool in Scripture is someone who denies that there is a God and who lives like there is no one to answer to when they die. Nabal was called a wicked man, a worthless man, and Hophni and Phinehas, Eli's sons, were described with that same word. And it's a strong word to describe those who know God and yet foolishly refuse to serve him and his people. One other thing. Jesus was underestimated, too. He was called a blasphemer. He was called a worker of the devil. He was called the son of Joseph, but people, he is the son of God. And his life and his teaching and his miracles and his resurrection prove that he is both Lord and Savior. He is the Messiah, the Christ. He is the atoning sacrifice that removes the guilt of our sins when we believe in him, when we trust in him to be our Savior. He's the one who holds the keys of death and hell. He's the one who gives life. He has the authority to give it and to take it away. He's returning to rule and to reign as king and lord. So doubters, skeptics, unbelievers, don't underestimate who Jesus is. Don't be foolish and refuse his offer to save you from judgment and believers. His miracles and his teaching and his power to raise others and himself from the dead. Hold on to those. Hold on to those truths tightly in times like this. Persevere in your faith. When there's fears and life is difficult. Because God's given us David's story to remind us of his plans. David, you're going to be king. Saul may not be after us. But suddenly life seems very uncertain. But Jesus promises are true for us today, that we're his servants, 
that we're his friends, that we're his ambassadors, that he will never leave us or forsake us. He is preparing a place for us, and he keeps his sheep, and he will bring us into his presence. It reminds me when Jesus was by a tomb, and he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Take great comfort in that, that Jesus will raise us, no matter what's ahead, good or bad, in these days, our God is faithful, and he will take care of his anointed one, his chosen ones. David has faith in God. He has his high moments, and we're seeing one of those lower moments. He's lying about who he is and what he's doing. It's a perilous time. But remember, Abraham lied too. He was God's chosen servant, and twice he lied about Sarah being his sister, not his wife. But what did God do for Abraham? What does God do for David? He takes care of his chosen ones. He's watching over his servants. David, like those mice, may not be able to see how God's protecting him. He may not be aware of it all. We can't always see it. But child of God, know that he's taking care of Abraham. He's taking care of Hannah and her plight. He's taking care of David. Add your name to the list. I learned in history class a long time ago that Columbus discovered America. But what did he really know about this continent? He knew nothing about the people that lived there. He knew nothing about the wildlife. He knew nothing about the herds of buffaloes, the plains, the mountains, the valleys, the rivers, the streams. He knew nothing about it. And we are so much like that when it comes to knowing how God is taking care of us. We don't see it all. We don't know what he's doing. I am so unaware of God's daily care. He's not only providing for me physically, and he's been so faithful in that, but I don't often have a clue how Jesus and the Holy Spirit are interceding for me, praying for me, taking care of me, sending angels to watch over me. I barely know a thing. And God gives us David's story in chapter 27 just to remind us that he has taken care of his children. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, that we put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all men, but especially of those who believe. So like the men in the, like, excuse me, like the mice in the piano, like believing unbelieving people, we can be so very unaware of God's care, but know God is taking care of us. So let's consider this, though. We've been looking at when fear overrules faith. But how about when faith overrules fear? God gives us resources, resources to build up our faith. I just want to re take a quick reminder. Maybe you can look it up later in your Bibles. But in chapter 16, verse 1, we see that David was called and anointed by Samuel the prophet, God's servant. In chapter 23, Jonathan came to him when David was feeling no and was afraid that he was going to die. And Jonathan said, no, do not be afraid. God is taking care of you. You will be king. Later on, Abigail came and said pretty much the same thing. God is going to take care of you. Even in chapter 24, Saul, his enemy, out of his enemy's mouth came words, you are going to be king. 
God was speaking to David. He was giving him his word to remind him that he was in his hands, that he would take care of him, that he would serve as God wanted him to, and then be in God's presence when David had done his work. I don't know how much David had access to God's word. He didn't have a Bible then. And people, we need to cherish the word of God that we hold in our hands more than we do probably. But God got his truth to David through people. And that's God's method today as well. People to people. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? I want you to know, we are those preachers, not just the preachers of the preachers. We all, the body of Christ, all believers are the preachers that are go out to speak God's truth to the world. That's our mission. <laughs> and what a time to be on mission. To be making disciples, not by power, not by our might or will, but by the power of the Holy Spirit and prayerful dependence. I'm reminded of the church in Acts. In Acts chapter 9, when, when Saul was persecuting the church, Stephen had been stoned and the church scattered. They must have thought the world was ending. They, they were running for their lives. They were afraid of what they might be thrown in prison or killed for following Jesus. But you know what? They never forgot their mission. And they went out and made disciples wherever they went. And then during this moment, let's not lose sight of what God has called us to do. So God gives us his word, God gives us his people, and God gives us experiences with him. Just remember, David, remember Goliath and how God was with you in chapter 17. Remember how he was with you in success, taking care of you, how he protected you from Saul time and again, how he brought people into your life to encourage your heart. But people, let's not forget God's ultimate resource, Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. David's a picture of Jesus, but J David's nothing like Jesus. David's an ideal earthly king, but he was a sinful man. He was weak. He wavered in his trust. G. Campbell Morgan says, David in this chapter has lost a clear vision of the power and the might and the love of his God. David's faith seems to be so weak compared to chapter 17 when he was facing Goliath. Had he forgotten those words of Abigail, when men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord will be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. God's going to take care of you in his treasure chest, David. Most importantly, God wants us to look at the best king, the deliverer, Jesus Christ. In the book of Hebrews, God points out to us, after the great chapter of what many people call God's Hall of Fame of Faith, he says this, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. David was the appointed king, and he's a great example for us to look at. But God doesn't say, look at chapter 11 and follow 
fix your eyes on those great saints of faith. He tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder of our faith, the one who trusts in us. Jesus ran to his father, not to enemy territory, for safety. When Jesus spoke of the fact of his impending death, he always told his disciples of his impending victory over death. And those who believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior have those same words watching over us. That ultimately neither sin or death can touch us. That if we carry our cross, the glory that's to come is going to weigh out, outweigh any suffering. Nothing but eternal victory awaits those who trust in God. We will not be overcome, but we will overcome evil with good through Christ's power and his life. God really does take care of his people, even when we may be more driven by fear than faith. God is watching over you. Why did the Holy Spirit want us to know this part of David's story? I just, two ideas, there's probably many more than just two, but two, I think, important ones are this. That great cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 11 reminds us to run the race well. Because God, our Savior, our Lord is watching over us. Fix your eyes on him. Oh, to be like David battling Goliath. Oh, to be like David in the cave and cutting off the corner of a robe, not killing your enemy Saul. Oh, to have your enemy Saul speak well of you. To be living such a godly life that even your enemies have to admit that you are a follower of God. We have God's resources to help us. God the Spirit, God's Word, God's people, experiences, God's faithful history at work in our lives to look back on and be assured that he's taking care of us. But mostly, look to Jesus. He's the one who saves. He's the one who forgives. He's the one who can give us life and the power not to be afraid and to do his work until he takes us to be with him. The old hymn puts it like this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest in his unchanging grace. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Susan Motto write, God writes straight between crooked lines. Joseph could say that. If you know the story of Joseph in Genesis, the twists and turns of his life were crazy. He was a chosen one. But he was hated by his brothers. He was enslaved. He was falsely accused of a crime he did not do. He was imprisoned. And then he rose to second in command. And Joseph could see this crooked path and wonder what God, in the middle of a God, what are you doing? But see, God was moving him in a straight line. God knew the beginning from the end. And we can see that happening in David's life right now. All these twists and turns. You're going to be king, David, over the people of Israel, but running in the valleys and caves and running for your life. And it was years before that ever took place. David might have been wondering, God, what are you doing? But you see, God sees a straight path. And the question for you and me today is this. Have we learned to trust our God that he will be faithful to fix our eyes on Jesus and follow him? And those who do will not be disappointed when we see him face 
to face. I want to give you a prayer invitation. Share with others how God has been faithfully guiding your steps. Find ways to get connected, to tell your story to people, new friends, old friends, and just a few sentences just to give words of encouragement. Encourage one another, stay connected, call one another up, pray together when we can't be together face to face. Be encouraging and reminding one another how God is being good and how he will be faithful to us and watch over us in life and through death, no matter what is ahead. You can email or call the church office and leave a message. Email the elders or the deacons with needs, prayer requests. Stay together. Pray with family. Pray with friends. Carry one another's joys. Carry one another's burdens. The twisting and winding paths of our lives are leading us straight into the presence of our God and Savior. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before God. In love, he's predestined us for adoption as sons. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses. So we can go without fear. We can go on loving and serving and praying and speaking and be at peace in Christ. We can be God's light wherever our path is taking us, even if it's not very far, because our God is with us and he will not leave or forsake us. Let's pray. Lord God, we ask you today to take your word, the story of David, his faith kind of wavering, and yet, Lord, we see how you were watching over his life because he was your chosen one. Lord, may everyone today that hears this message be one of your chosen ones. May they surrender their lives to you, believe in you, and entrust themselves to you, knowing that you will take care of them for now and forever. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.